Lester, the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. Also made available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. All hit radio. Every time you pick up the mic, you are broadcasting. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Won't you turn your radio? Hello, and welcome to Lester the Nightfly. This is your host, PJ Ewing. PJ, nobody knows what that stands for. Do I dare tell? I'm going to. Paul Jerome. Paul Jerome Ewing coming to you over the airwaves and uh, in a digital format somehow. We have a guest today. Anna Kelly, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's apocalyptic today, isn't it? You have a yes. lake in your backyard. Well, tell us. A, a, a biblical deluge currently <laughs> in my backyard. Um, I think I would have to swim to get to the grocery store. I've got about, I don't know, maybe three to six inches of water back there right now i'm very glad i don't own this house it's quite close to the foundation <laughs> i see it's uh for everyone listening uh, we're recording on a day that surprised us all it's not a hurricane but i am in new york and anna you are in connecticut yeah and we have had three inches and we've got three more coming and the subways are stopping and i had yikes it was a, a harrowing morning it sounds a little dramatic but anyways we're here together to talk about anna and musical influences and uh touch upon your career as an opera singer and a, a student of opera and i'm really excited to have you here this is going to be a lot of fun this is for everyone listening the first of a series but we're going to start with sort of what created your musical sensibility and anna has provided us with an incredible playlist so today's playlist is really kind of about my musical influences growing up, which I would say were not very classical. I, I had some classical music exposure as a young kid, but not a ton. My favorite classical music exposure was definitely uh, the books on tape that my mother used to provide me called like Beethoven Lives Upstairs, I think was one of them. I think they were by classical kids and they were basically stories of composers' lives with um, music from the various periods of their composition that accompanied their life events. And I found that very interesting because I think I've always been interested in stories and musical expression of those stories and the emotions that come from the stories that we live in our lives. That and NPR were my only classical musical influences as a kid. My house was full of music growing up. We always say it was such a loud, noisy environment. Um, someone was always banging around on some musical instrument or singing at the top of their lungs. <laughs> Very lively household. My father plays guitar and piano. I played piano and my brother did as well. My mother is one of the most amazing singers I know. Um, and then, of course, I sing as well. So very, very noisy household. <laughs> Some of my earliest memories are uh, singing along to my father playing Golden Slumbers by the Beatles on, on piano. <laughs> really, really precious memory. <laughs> where, where did you grow up? I 
actually grew up in Georgia. I grew up um, a little bit outside of Atlanta um, in one of the small suburbs outside of Atlanta called Avondale Estates, very close to Decatur, Georgia, if anyone's familiar. But, you know, about 15, 20 minutes outside of downtown Atlanta. Um, and I lived there till I was about 10 years old. And then I moved up to North Georgia for two years, which um, wasn't necessarily uh, our favorite place to live. My family may or may not refer to it as the time in exile. <laughs> uh, we, we moved back to Atlanta shortly after that. So I'm an Atlanta native, uh, did school in D.C. and uh, ended up in Connecticut after doing my master's up here. You uh, are an opera singer, and yes. we we're going to get into that in some subsequent shows, certainly. And you've done your master's at, was it at Yale then? I did. I did my master's at the Yale School of Music. Class of 22, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the great schools in the world, really, in, in terms of music. And we met because you are, are, had been competing this year, this 2023, in opera vocal competitions. And one of them was the Giulio Gari Foundation competition. And I think we came in contact with, with each other through that, right? I believe so. That sounds about right. So that allows us to kind of get to the list. And it's, it's funny, not so funny, maybe clever on your part, that you did mention Golden Slumbers because <laughs> that is our first track from the playlist. Everyone, it was a playlist of like 40 or 50 tracks. It's, it's, it was insane. And I way overdid her homework. So we're, I did cherry pick a little bit so we can whittle this down, but they're all so interesting. It's such a, uh, a revealing look, I think, at you, as we'll see throughout the, the time that we have today. Golden Slumbers by the Beatles from the record Abbey Road, 1970. Let's hear it, and then we'll hear Anna talk about it. One throws away To get back homeward One throws away This track is is truly one of my core memories, as as the TikTok folk would say. Honestly, I can remember my father playing this on piano and singing along very softly while my mother was cooking dinner on the stove. Um, you know, in in the very first house that I remember in Avondale Estates in Georgia, and just uh, it, the layout of that house was such that the the living room backed up against the kitchen, and then there was like kind of a dining room in between and a little front hallway, so you could run. 
from the kitchen, through the hallway, into the living room, into the dining room, back into the kitchen and run circles. You know, as a, as a young girl, as a like five, six year old, that was my favorite thing to do. My mom would be cooking dinner. My dad would be playing piano after work. And I would run through the kitchen, through the hallway, through the living room, through the dining room, back into the kitchen, around in circles again and again. And I really remember as my dad would play this particular piece, this was one that I really liked. There were several that were on rotation at any given time. And, and this was this was one of my favorites. And I would always ask my father to play Golden Slumbers. I'd be like, can you play Golden Slumbers? I like that one. And then, you know, resume my, my laps around the kitchen. That's pretty much what growing up in my household was like. Someone was always doing something while someone else was playing a lot of music and we all just kind of carried on. It was very loud, <laughs> but very, very happy. When was the last time you were in that house? Oh, gosh. I haven't been back to that house since I was nine or 10 years old. Okay. It's been quite a while. Yeah. Let's see what a nine year old sees. Tell us, describe it. Tell us about that house, that first floor, the outside. See, what, see what's in your brain on that one. one of those like 1990s split level sunken living room type of houses so you would walk up the front stairs and there was like a little front patio thing i would hang out on that front patio with the cat and wait for the mailman sometimes you you'd then take a right and turn into the front door and there was like this kind of hallway foyer area with stairs on the left going upstairs to the the bedroom areas and then if you continued straight you would walk into the kitchen and to the left of the kitchen were these were about five stairs down into the living room and the living room was all i think it was all brick if i remember right i i kind of remember banging my head on that brick a couple of times as a young person. <laughs> you know, I was very, uh, very tomboyish, always getting into trouble, always getting hurt. <laughs> I think I think there was a, a, a point in my life where my parents were like, okay, we can't keep taking you to the ER. You're like, no more emergencies, no more falling, no more breaking things. That's so funny. <laughs> because I was just very active. I loved to run around. I loved to play imaginary games. This house was the the scene of many many imaginary games with my brother we would pretend that we were um i don't know why we always thought we were british but we would pretend we saw like mary poppins and thought that we were like those kids and would pretend to be those kids and run around the house and uh, just had very very active imaginations my mom was very focused on making sure that we had a very active imaginary life and not so much of like a TV life. So we read a lot of books. We watched a lot of classic movies like on the weekends, but for the most part, there wasn't a lot of TV in my household. And my parents were firm believers in like figure out how to entertain yourselves and, you know, use your imaginations and go outside. And so if you went down through the living room, you would go down into like 
another family room space, you know, with a laundry room and everything like that. And I was actually homeschooled until eighth grade. So that room downstairs, which led out into the backyard, that was where I was taught to read. That's where um, I kind of fell in love with, with books for the first time. We did lots of, you know, the, the, the regular elementary school kid stuff. Lots of reading, lots of imaginary play, lots of basic math, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> my family was very big into making sure we were taught history, so we learned history and started learning languages pretty early on. I studied Latin, I think starting in third grade, because my mom believed that it was good to help kids learn languages. Um, so I studied Latin for a long time. Um, out in the backyard, that was really where the magic happened. I was out there almost all the time. And my, my neighbors from that area would tell my mom that they could always tell when I was outside because I would start singing while while swinging on my swing set. I had like a really old little, you know, swing set. Um, and then, uh, you know, I would swing on those swing sets and sing Abbey Road at the top of my lungs, like the whole album, just back to back, like swing on my swing and sing. <laughs> I think that's what that house was like for me. It's it's a place of lots of magical memories. Lots of magical memories.
so you wanted to be those kids in Mary Poppins. Was that oh, why yeah. you thought you were British? <laughs> yes. My brother, my brother's name is Aiden. Aiden and I, um, we would, we would have all sorts of adventures. We would go outside. We would pretend we were pioneers. Like we read Little House on the Prairie and, you know, we weren't British kids anymore then. We were suddenly in Laura Ingalls Wilder's house with her family, you know, pioneering our way through America. <laughs> right. We were really just very much into books and stories and storytelling. And we would tell each other these stories. Like we would just make these stories up. And whatever toys we were playing with, whether they were blocks or trains or dolls or whatever, like those were part of the story. And then they would eventually always evolve into some sort of story that we were the main characters and we would take ourselves outside and main character our lives um, and tell our little pretend stories. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap, the job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see. When I was a very, very young kid, I loved, it was very clear that I loved music and I loved to sing. So she would have me in the kitchen with her because I was, you know, like maybe three or so, like you, she had to keep an eye on me. So I'd be hanging out with her in the kitchen while she did the dishes. And she would be singing Spoonful of Sugar by Rodgers and Hammerstein from, from Mary Poppins. It was just a very, very early, another early memory around the same time as my dad playing Golden Slumbers of my mom singing Spoonful of Sugar and learning how to sing harmonies with my mom. Like my mom would show me how to sing like basic little harmonies with her. And so my mom and I would be singing, you know, songs from these musical theater standards in our kitchen while she did the dishes. That a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. A robin feathering his nest has very little time to rest while gathering his bits of twine and twig. Though quite intent in his pursuit, he has a merry tune to toot. He knows a song will move the job along. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way.
stretch the nectar from the flowers to the comb never tire of ever buzzing to and fro because they take a little nip from every flower that they sip and hence and hence they find they find their task is not a My mom was born in 1960, so I, it, she would have been four, maybe five years old seeing that in theaters. So a, a super, super early core memory for her that turned into a super early core memory for me. And, and I think that just says something about how music creates experiences that we want to share with other people. And then that's how you end up with these things getting passed down like this. That's one of the things I like about opera. It's been passed down for gosh, generations, you know, it's, it's a historical art form. I'm learning the same things that people 200 years ago learned. I think that's amazing. <laughs> so you also brought some more music to us, though, from Lorena McKennett, a Canadian, I believe, singer-songwriter. I've never heard of Lorena McKennett, but it's also very sort of storytelling kind of music, isn't it? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So this is a whole other side of my musical upbringing, I would say. On the one hand, there is the golden age musical theater, the classic rock. And then on the other hand, there's, you know, kind of more art songs, kind of, I guess you would say art song in the contemporary music world, right? In opera, you have things that come from operas, so arias and ensemble pieces and, and that type of thing. But then you also have like these standalone pieces or pieces that live in a cycle that aren't part of an opera, like called art song. Lorena McKenna, I mean, she just reminds me of Art Song a lot. <laughs> um, it's a funny story. My mother's mom's name was Ethel, but she was called Lorene. It was just her nickname. And my middle name is Lorena. And my mom says, I'm named after my grandmother. And my dad says, I'm named after Lorena McKenna. So take whichever you prefer. <laughs> my love said to me my mother won't mind And me father won't slide you For your lack of kind Then she stepped away from me And these she did say 
she moved through the fair And fondly I watched her Move here and move there She wandered away homeward With one star awake As the swans in the listen to these in car drives going up to hike we would go up drive up to tennessee or northern georgia and go hiking and it would always be celtic music on the way up so i guess i just have these evocative memories of celtic music equals beautiful hiking scenery um, and driving up into the mountains but yeah lorena mckennett i mean she's a folk artist she tells these stories in this musical format um she does a lot of like i guess people would say it's kind of falls into the celtic music category which we listened to a lot in my household i'm not as irish as my name would say but um there is a little bit of it in me there but really the reason we listened to this is because my father loved loves Celtic music. So hmm. Lorena Mechanic, I mean, gosh, The Highwayman was one of the first songs that I was like, whoa, there is an entire epic poem in this story. Around the same time I was learning that that things like Homer's Odyssey and Iliad were actually poems that would be sung with musical accompaniment to entertain like ancient lords and kings and stuff like that. And I thought that was so fascinating. I was so interested in the idea of like, you know, the court entertainer, the person who is creating art for the purposes of entertainment, for the purposes of, of storytelling, and, and how powerful that was, that even like people with real power, like kings and, you know, warlords and all that type of thing, would basically all fall to the attention of, you know, the court 
singer, the court entertainer, and tell these stories. Um, and I think Lorena McKennett was the first time I saw that in like more of a modern context, because we we don't know what all those epic poems sounded like with music, but we know, we know what Lorena McKennett's uh, 1990s album sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I remember listening to this and being like, what a cool story this is. It's a, essentially a love story. These two people are encountering a conflict. The father of this girl does not want her to see this man, and um, she has to give him signals that uh, if he comes to visit her, he will be attacked and sent to prison and possibly executed. And the, the stakes are very high. And it's just this story of two people connecting with these these crazy these crazy stakes and, and what they do for love in a three minute song. Kind of crazy. <laughs> <All in three. laughs> the wind was a torrent of darkness among the ghastly trees. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon the cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moon. And the highwayman came riding. Riding, riding, the highwayman came riding up to the olden door. He had a French cocked hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace on his chin, a coat of claret velvet, and breeches of brown skin. They faded with never a wrinkle, his boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jewel twinkle. His pistol buds a twinkle, his rapier hilt a twinkle under the chill sky. And all the cobbles he clattered and clashed in the darkened yard. And he tapped with his whip on the shutters, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black eyed daughter? Past the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into her long black hair. When kiss my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize tonight. But I shall be back with the yellow gold before the morning light. Yet if you press me sharply and hurry me through the day, then look for me by the moonlight. Watch for me by the moonlight Come to thee by the moonlight Who hell should bar the way He rose upright in the stirrups He scarce could reach a hand But she loosened her hair in the casement His face burned like a brand As a black cascade of perfume Came tumbling over his breast And he kissed its waves in the moonlight Sweet waves in the moonlight The tug did us rain in the moonlight And galloped away to the rest Before the rise 
eyes of the moon When the road was a gypsy's ribbon Looping the purple moon Our anchor troop came marching Marching, marching King George's men came marching Up to the olden door They said no word to the landlord They drank his ale instead But they gagged his daughter and bound her To the foot of her narrow bed Two of them nailed to the casement With muskets at the side There was death at every window Hell at one dark window For best could see through the casement The road he would ride They had tied her up to attention With many a sniggering jest They had bound a musket beside her With a bow beneath the breast Now keep good watch and they kissed her She heard the dead man say Look for me by the moonlight Watch for me by the moonlight I'll come to thee by the moonlight Who hill should bar the way She twisted her hands behind her With all the knots here good But she writhed her hands till her fingers Were wet with sweat of blood They stretched and streamed in the darkness And the hours crawled by like years To now when the stroke of midnight Called on the stroke of midnight The tip of her finger touched it The triggered lease was hers Where they deaf, they did not hear Down the ribbon of moonlight Over the brow of the hill The highway man came riding Riding, riding The redcoats looked to the priming She stood up straight and still Toddle lot in the frosty signs Toddle lot in the echo night Nearer came and nearer Her face was like a light Her eyes grew wide for a moment She drew in the last deep breath Then her finger moved in the moonlight Her mask had shattered the moonlight Shattered her breast in the moonlight And warned him with the death He turned his spur to the west He did not know she stood But with her head of the musket With her own red blood Not till the dawn he heard His face grew grey to heal A best the landlord's daughter The landlord's black-eyed daughter Had watched for her love in the moon 
Lester the Nightfly Radio. We have Anna Kelly, an opera singer, recent graduate of the Yale School of Music. We just heard The Highwayman by Lorena McKennett, and also Wondering Where the Lions Are by Bruce Coburn. Talk about a folksy, eclectic sound. Wondering Where the Lions Are. I mean, it's essentially a safari story a little bit, but I think it's also a story of success and wondering when everything will come tumbling down. I think this is a person who is experiencing a good part of their life and and wondering where the lions are, wondering what's around the corner, if there's going to be, if something bad is gonna happen, if this couldn't possibly last. I'm fascinated by that. I, I think the imagery of this song is so interesting. I think the, the at a very basic level, it's got a great beat and a great melody, you know? Um, all the, the makings of a fantastic song. Another song that my dad used to play on guitar, uh, not piano, this one. Fabulous. Just really interesting. He has another, another song that you should check out mm. called um, uh, Time at the Crossroads. Tie me at that crossroads when I die. Hang me in the wind till I get good and dry. And the kids will walk by and scratch their heads and say, who was that guy? Tie me at the crossroads when I die. You know, it's just a story about wanting to be remembered huh. when uh, you were no longer relevant. <laughs> so you know, you know who was remembered by one record and it was one of the great recordings of all time was your next artist, Peter Frampton. Your side, hey. 
Frampton Comes Alive, 1976. Do you know the the impact this had on this artist at all? I remember reading about it. It was the, the time before the internet when you released a record and you really didn't know. You didn't right. know how it did. And he released this sort of uh, almost greatest hits collection live recording in 1976. Again, Frampton Comes Alive. He, he didn't really know and he started reading about it and hearing about it. And it was over the course of a week or two that everybody just melted down. It became one of the greatest selling records of all time. The whole thing is a fabulous listen. You chose Baby I Love Your Way. Uh, you could have chosen any one of the songs probably on this record, right? Oh, any single one of them. Uh, that is an incredible record. An incredible record. You know, part of me wonders if on some level, Peter Frampton knew like that this was just amazing art, but didn't know whether or not it was gonna take off the way that it did. Mm. I don't know, I'm really interested in that whole story of how this blew up kind of almost unexpectedly. I remember yeah. reading that he was kind of shocked by the response it got. It uh, completely, kind of completely. I absolutely love Peter Frampton. I don't know if uh, if that means that I have the same musical taste as my dad, so be it. <laughs>
Have you seen the movie Almost Famous? I have. I think I have. Remind me of, of how it goes. It's a band and they're trying to make it. And we've got young, uh, kind of a, a young correspondent, a high schooler who writes for the local paper about music. And they travel with the band a little bit. And they're mm. trying to they're trying to to make it basically. They they call it a love letter to rock and roll. And the reason I bring it up is that Peter Frampton wrote the music and was a, a sort of the musical consultant uh, for the rockers, the actors who were wow. acting. And it, it's if you haven't seen it again, it, it's a delightful rock and roll thing. So Elise Witt, this track you brought to us, Au Revoir Les Bateaux. Oh gosh, Elise Witt. Gosh, she's just a cool person. I have had the fortune of meeting Elise Witt several times in person. She worked very heavily for a period with the Atlanta Young Singers. Um, and I, gosh, I must have been about seven or eight years old at the time. Um, it was my first time participating in a choir setting. Um, I actually don't think I had even done church choir yet, but my mom, you know, we had been singing our little harmonies, you know, washing dishes in the kitchen and her watching me run laps around my father playing golden slumbers. Um, <laughs> and my mom decided that it was time to get me started working on developing as a young musician. So she enrolled me in Atlanta Young Singers of Calumwald. And the season that I was part of, um, Elise Witt was very heavily featured in the program. And she writes these beautiful folksy arrangements and she had some really cool choral arrangements that involved hand percussion. So clapping, snapping, like, I don't know, when you get 60 people in a choir rubbing their hands together, it makes a shh noise that's fascinating. Very, very cool to see the types of sounds that a group of people can make without opening their mouths. Uh, she would make these really, really cool arrangements of folk songs and they were kid appropriate and they would have us sing them. And one of the ones I remember very clearly was Au Revoir Les Bateaux, which is a song about watching the boats go up the Mississippi River, up and down the Mississippi River. Sitting on the edge of the Mississippi Queen Au revoir les bateaux So many boats carry so many dreams Au revoir les bateaux Au revoir les bateaux Au revoir les J'étais assise au bord de la rivière Au revoir les bateaux Tant de bateaux avec des rêves et prières Au revoir les bateaux It's one of my earliest memories of making music with people not in my family. Hmm. I was about, gosh, like I said, seven or eight years old. And this same season, I sang a solo. I believe it might have been in this piece, actually, at a business conference in downtown Atlanta. We did a little concert for this conference. Who knows where they'll be on some other day? Les eaux, les portes, bien loin dans le vent Au revoir les bateaux Qui sait où ils arriveront avec le temps Au revoir les bateaux Au revoir les bateaux 
The night before the concert, I got the solo wrong, like every single time we rehearsed it. I was nervous. I would just, you know, I was really, really young and I just, I got it wrong a couple of times. And my mom said she went home that night and she was terrified that I would mess up in front of, you know, 500 people and never want to sing again. But I slept like a baby. I was fine. And the next day I woke up and... I sang the solo and everything went fine. But it was definitely a moment that I realized I wanted to learn music, that I wanted to perform music, that I enjoyed performing music, and also that music really just makes me feel a lot of joy and just gives me a lot of joy in my life and makes me happy and I want to share it with people. And I think even as a little kid, that was something I was interested in. Pleasure to float over the rainbow with Anna Kelly, mezzo-soprano. Anna was a finalist in the Giulio Gari vocal competition this year, and just a few weeks ago won third prize in the Gerda Listener Foundation Leader Vocal Competition. Well done, Anna. We'll have more with Anna Kelly next week here on Lester the Nightfly, where you never know what you're going to get. See you then. The dream that you dare to Why, oh why can't I This has been a PJ DJ production.